fortunate because now we got the buzzing going again. Do we? Come a on. little bit. No, that's good. All right, welcome to episode number fifteen of Theological Legion of Boom. Let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come, come in the in most, most powerful, powerful intercession, intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the most powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by the most powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> All right, I think right. our boombaya might just be we got it going this morning. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> sure. goodness. We first struggled with the YouTube. No, we first struggled with the audio, and then and we struggled with YouTube. We always struggle with Cody, so. Yeah, <laughs> it's a struggle. That's because Bill will never do anything extra, which is kind of amazing because I know that he asks his players to do the all kinds of extra. Bus go round and round. <laughs> Round and round. Look, when round you have something that works, the then wheels you stick on with the it. Why would we change if it's been working? <laughs> You're just afraid of doing extra work. The town. Well, I'm not the one whining about it. You're the one that's whining about having to do a little extra work, right? <laughs> Are you guys seriously whining at each other right now? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be nice to you, Cody. All right. People we who are, like you I, like I, me to be nice. Not sure if you heard, uh, Bill, but we're live. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, we are. All right, today, uh, so no one has a boomerang or a boomerang? Oh my gosh, we're going back to boomerang a now. Boom Nobody has a boom this morning? Yeah, but uh, one of you guys needs to share one. No, I, I like your boom I do too. Oh, man. I do too. Yeah, very nice. Boom I, was, I have to summon my inner bill again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so summon, summon your inner bill. I'm, I'm uh, interested geez. in this right now. <laughs> I had lots of them this week, but one of them was... Uh, at our cross country meet. Now, Bill has talked about this before that Did it people must be need right. to. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're switching to talk about pride. pride. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about it before that very often, as coaches, parents, and fans, we put a whole lot on athletes and they sometimes people will say things like this is the most important game of your life when you're in junior high and things like that Uh, so at our cross-country meet the other day it was our league meet and we had a couple of people who the weather just hit them weird and uh, they just struggled through the race and by the end of the race I had a couple of them that were just beating themselves up and I had one young lady who was so upset that uh, she was in tears and she was saying but it's league and I let my team down at league and and she still didn't run a bad time but uh, it was one of those great moments where I was able to to go, hey, it's one meet. Yeah, it's league, but it's one meet. You have years to go. You, we have meets left in the season. We still can look forward to regionals, maybe state later. And let's not hang an entire season of all the good things we did on one meet. And so that was my boom by all this week of being able to uh, take a step back from putting so much emphasis on things, you know, and I try to make sure that I don't do that, that I don't. Yeah. Like you said, hey, it all hangs on this kid, you know. I, I was thinking about that yesterday because uh, we had the reading from Job where Job is asked by God, you know, can you make the sun come up? Did mm. you go to, you know, like, and he had you there when all that stuff yeah, was happening. 
And uh, and I always, you know, I always tell kids in the locker rooms afterwards too. Like sometimes we way over value what we cause. You know, even though we got beat tonight, the sun is still coming up tomorrow. You know, your mom is still gonna love you. Your dad, hey, it may take a few <laughs> days, but he'll be back. Um, you know, it just it's a, a refocusing thing for us. So that's why I like the Joe breeding yesterday. I always feel like. There's a whole. We were in a room of 400 people at mass or whatever, and I always feel like that reading is read straight to my heart. And it's like everybody else disappears, and I'm hearing God speak. Like, were you there when I created this? Did you do this? Can you do this? Yeah. Who exactly do you think you are? And I'm like, God, there's other people in the room too, you know. Um, but it feels like it's just zeroed right in on me. So that's because it is. Well, it might be. That's that pride <laughs> no, thing I feel again. The same way. If it was Father Jared up there preaching, I'd feel like it might actually be just zeroed in on me. But <laughs> I'm not biting on your little on your little bait. <laughs> you will, you will over and over and over again. So you might have missed one. All right, let's get started in on our topic. All right, so yeah. today we're talking about by what authority? Blah blah blah. Wake up. I'm sorry. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> Once again, what, like, does you, what does your church believe? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a much better title. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So by what authority is getting to the question of who, who says that, you know, what you believe is correct? Where do you get your truth from? Um, you know, ultimately, the authority that we all have as Christians, we go back to the roots of our faith, which is rooted in Jesus Christ, but... By what authority does he continue to pass down the truth that he instituted? Um, and so that's what we're discussing today, because there's a, there's a very big uh, gap between Catholic theology, Catholic understanding, and many of the Protestant churches in terms of where we receive our authority to be able to even talk about any kind of truth of Jesus Christ. And so... we, we And we could go even a little bit further if we wanted to and expand into other... Religions entirely, you know, Mormons and and you know Hindu. Yeah, that's and, actually I mean, not a bad place to start. I mean, we can go all over the place and talk about where they find their authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the the distinction would be. Well, I was always amazed because if you if you look at it, um, first of all, because the question sometimes comes up: why why Christianity over Islam or over Judaism or over um, over Buddhism or whatever, any of the world religions. And first, first reality is the, is the reality that, uh, the revelation that we receive is a revelation, not to one individual at one given time. Um, whereas many or much of the rest of world religions are such, are such like that because, I mean, you look at Muhammad was the one to receive in a, in a cave by himself, the revelation of the Quran and write it down. Uh, so it's one individual at one given time in history. Whereas the revelation that we receive, uh, about Jesus Christ, not only does it come through many different authors, but it comes through many different centuries, which no other world religion can claim that either. And so that's the second piece is, is Christianity, Jesus Christ, is pre-announced by multiple different authors centuries before he comes, and that is not the case with any other world religion, with any other deity claimed by a world religion, is that there is a pre-announcing of that. So there's prophecy 
centuries before of the when, the where, the how of Jesus Christ coming uh, prior to him showing up on the scene. So that makes, I mean, to me, that makes logical sense that if God is going to come into the world, that he would let us know. And that's the reality of Christianity. So, you know, another thing that hit me recently in looking into this was how many other of the major world religions, excuse me, had to clear my throat. How many other of the major world religions hold Jesus in such high regard and either hold him as a prophet or some of them will worship him even as one of their gods. If I'm correct, I was looking this up and I think it was Hindus. Some Hindus will even uh, offer up uh, their, I don't know, prayers or uh, whatever it is, but he is one of the you know minor gods also that uh, some of them would even hold to. And and so if you look at that, it's just amazing to me that you don't really see so many other fi- major figures from the other religions that are being held in such high regard by all the other religions. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Oh, really? I got it back. Um, one of the things I was thinking about yesterday, distinctions, um, Father Fred mentioned during his homily that you can see the difference between the God of us as Christians and the God of you know, the Buddhists or um, the Muslims as far as the fact that our God actually came down and suffered. And he talked about even like you look at the Greek and the Roman gods, that there was no way that a Greek or Roman God was coming down to suffer for the people. There was not that kind of relationship. It's blasphemy for for Muslims to say that their God suffered in any way. Uh, Buddha's busy being a happy guy. Um, And so one of the distinctions you can start to clear away a lot is the fact that our God came down and suffered for us. Um, which is a distinction. I don't know. It seemed important at the time. You're looking at me like, what on earth is wrong with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it is. And also, uh, I was listening to this wonderful station that we're uh, recording on right now, and this was just a couple days ago. They were talking about uh, some ministry within the prison system. And so many people, you know, think that everybody in the United States has heard about Jesus, and that's just simply not true. But there was uh, one of these monks, I don't remember which order they were in, they were visiting there, and one of the guys that uh, he was visiting with came up to him later and said, I've never heard of this Jesus guy, I've never heard of forgiveness, but I want to know more. And one of the things that uh, he started sharing uh, with this inmate through the Gospels was uh, the Gospel of Luke, and when this guy was done reading the Gospel of Luke, he goes, wait a minute. So let me get this right. You guys believed that this Jesus guy was dead, and now he's not, right? (laughs) And and this monk goes, yep, pretty much you got that right. And he goes, okay, I don't completely understand it, but I want to know more. And that's another one of the big things is uh, we say that our guy walked out of the tomb. Yeah. So, so then I guess when we start looking at those and to kind of zero down in a little bit, you know, everybody wants to know what they believe in is truth because nobody wants to be the guy that, you know, doesn't believe in truth. I'm, I'm trying to think of some mythical things that, you know, I don't know, that, that we've believed in in the past. Um, but we all want to believe in truth. And so then, you know, when we see so many forms of truth, one of the things we might ask is, where did you get your truth from and why should we believe in that? So in, in the coaching business, um, we look for people who are successful or they win. So if we want to look at a new offense, we find the offense and then we say, 
well, how has this helped you? Did you win with this? And if they didn't win, then nobody's hanging around with that offense. They're going to move to the next one for one that helps people win. So when we get to churches, you know, you can go to a variety of different websites and a variety of different places, and you can ask, what do you believe? Um, and it's amazing the, the differences, the vagueness, the specificness, and the differenceness of beliefs. And so then I think we got to talk about authority. So where exactly did you get your beliefs from? Mm-hmm. Um, we can start with the Catholic Church if we want to, or we can start talking about what others would say they get their authority from. I think, I think going back to that initial question that you started with, which is the question of, of truth, and that's one of the ones that I just I struggle with that because the Catholic Church gets criticized all the time on, um, you guys believe above all things that your church is true. Uh, like seriously, I, I'm amazed at the number of times we get critiqued as though that's some outrageous claim that your why church, would we be there? If yeah, didn't? That's, so that's my <laughs> logical conclusion: is why do you participate in a church that you do not believe to be the truth? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it's a waste of time if you're if you're at a church that, that that you do not believe to be true. But for some reason, the Catholic Church has always received this great criticism because of the fact that we believe that we're true, that, that we teach the truth, that we've been given the truth. And that, to me, is just the most bizarre fundamental principle uh, surrounding Christianity. I think I know where some of that comes from, though. I think some people don't believe that you can ever know the fullness of truth, and so that there's not one church that can give us the fullness of truth. Not meaning that we'll know everything, but that when it comes to morality, there's a church out there that's going to be able to guide us in all of our moral decisions. I've heard people say this. In fact, I was reading on it yesterday. There are people that will say, well, we can't really ever know all the truth. So it doesn't matter which church do you belong to as long as you believe in Jesus. I think part of it, too, is is uh, they inherently know that since there's so many different versions of truth out there that they couldn't necessarily claim it to be total truth. And so when we claim it to be truth, I think it offends from that side of like, well, we can't even say exactly what we teach in our church is truth. How can you guys proclaim this to be truth? Yeah, but... <clears throat> I but just, I, I'm with I you, mean, too. I, I don't think like, I would hang around if, if I didn't believe it was truth. Why would you believe it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, I would assume that you you ascribe or subscribe whatever to to the theological understandings and teachings of your particular church group. And if you don't, then why are you a part of it? And I know that's, I know that's a question that people will throw back at Catholics like, Oh, you have like, you think every Catholic believes everything that the church teaches. Well, yeah, there's lots that don't, but that doesn't mean, but that doesn't mean that I approve of that or that that's, I mean, not that I say every Catholic who doesn't accept everything should leave. Um, but we should at least be searching for the answers to those questions. But, but anyway, the church believes it, right? Yeah. So the church teaches it, preaches it, and yeah. Well, so. I mean, but if you go and look at some websites with the vagueness of of some oh, yeah. of what their actual faith, like one is the Bible is the mind of Christ and inspired, the only infallible authority, word of God. There is one God manifested in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's it. You know, I mean, it's. That's general, wide, and you go totally different direction for the Catholic Church, where we've got the Catechism, and that's a start for you. And there's actually more you can go beyond that, but that's kind of a a home version of if you need to look something up. Um, I I, I'm a little leery sometimes of people who leave things very vague because um, I don't. It makes me leery. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, you know, this was a great thing I got to do in my classes recently. We just started looking up some of the area churches and what they do believe on their websites. And maybe there's more that if you went into their documents in their church, it would tell you. But just specifically on the website, there's only a couple of things listed. And what I would be cautious for anybody about is when there's only a few things listed, what I noticed on some of them was it's, a lot of those things are the things that we would say, you know, those – those are nice. That, that's a good belief. That's a great start. But none of them were really challenging theological or moral things. You know, most of them were, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's our Savior. Things like that, that, that we would agree on, right? But I didn't, say, I didn't see anything on some of those websites about abortion, about contraception, about same-sex marriage, about in vitro fertilization. None of that. And so... The next logical question is, well, what do they teach on that? And like Bill said, for us Catholics, the, the beautiful thing is we get to open that book and go, hey, well, what does the church teach? And on a lot of things, we can just find it right away. Uh, for a lot of other denominations, uh, you're going to have to, if it's not laid out in a book for you, if it's not on the website, you're going to have to go to the pastor and ask, hey, what do we believe? And then... That gets us to a whole nother yeah, which discussion. Is, yeah, where do you get that? Where do you get that belief? And and I mean that's the reality that after what um, maybe ninety <laughs> A.D. after ninety A.D. there's no more written authority, and therefore, uh, I mean, in, according to many of the Protestant churches, uh, basically it's Scripture alone, which will bring us to our first principle with this. But but after the last letter of scripture was written, uh, how do we address the questions that come up in, in pat, you know, in, in subsequent centuries, like in vitro fertilization, like, you know, modern, modern ethical questions, because the scripture does not obviously answer those questions. It doesn't get into the depths of what we deal with today in terms of, uh, in terms of the depths of the different types of contraception and yeah. surgical procedures and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, one of the things too is maybe, and and I obviously struggle with pride. We've talked about that a lot on here. But Wait, what? Yeah, I know. It's just yeah. a shock to you. Yeah. Um, huh? But actually, sometimes I, I think, you know, I'm not even prideful enough to be able to say that if I want to find what the truth is, that I'll go in and read scriptures and out of just what I read in the New Testament, I'll be able to pull truths on all of these things, which were not necessarily even talked about in the Gospels. Um and, and I don't feel like through with just that one little work that I could pull out all those truths from it. Um, you know, so one of the things, too, is so then you go to the pastor and you ask, what do we believe in? But the question is, is that what we as universal truth believes in or is that what the pastor himself believes in? Mm -hmm. Because in the Catholic Church... Uh, you know, Father Jared, at some point, and God willing, it's a long ways away, but that's my niceness for Aww. the day. Uh, he will be transferred to another parish somewhere within the diocese, um, and someone new will come in, and nothing will change in what we teach yeah. and what we preach and what we profess to be truth. And this has been going on. Well, what you preach might be a little different. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, I think what we ought to clear up there is that there are some pastors within the Catholic Church even that will not teach the truth of the church. Yeah, but, but, I, I, but in yeah. general. I know what he's getting at. In he's, general. He's getting at the I know, fact that the, what that, the catechism what that church doesn't change. stands upon, that parish yeah. stands upon, does not shift or change. or Correct. Yeah. And, and that's been going that on, up. and that's been going on, and it will continue to go on as long as, as 
you know, the world is still around um, that will continue to go on that way where, you know, right now, currently in this church, because the pastor believes this, this is what we interpret it as. But in the future, if someone else comes in as the pastor of a Christian church, that could change a little bit if he interprets the scriptures differently than the one before him. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that really, really, really hard for me to dig in and, and believe, especially if truth could change. And it yeah. has changed right. in, in some of the denominations and things. Right. Yeah. Where you wouldn't see that in the Catholic Church, you can go back and you can read, which I love the history of being able to go back and read the early saints or the early church fathers and seeing them talking about the same thing we talk about today on, on teachings. It's almost yeah. a blessing and a curse because, you know, one of the common things you hear from a lot of people is, well, I agree with the church on most everything except for this. And the blessing is that we can look up all of those things or we can uh, find very quickly what the church teaches for a lot of other churches that don't have, once again, don't have this background, don't have this extra teaching, then you really have to just kind of be blind to what your pastor believes. And like I said, if you don't know what he believes, then like you guys said, well, is that what we as this entire congregation believes? And you've got to go ask the pastor then, what's your teaching on homosexuality? Yeah, I would be interested to know, because I don't know what different denominations do. And like even just within the Hayes area, the different denominations how they answer some of those questions, like like just not 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 necessarily what is their theological teaching, but specifically how do they go about it? Is it is it okay? This is the pastor's area, and according to his understanding of revelation, this is what this particular congregation believes, or is it just sort of like it's if it's not written explicitly in the scriptures, then it's a question that each individual person kind of comes up with for themselves. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's several approaches to it. One would be if you're connected to a greater church. So some of our Protestant churches in the community be uh, you know connected to like the Methodists or sure. Presbyterians, and so I believe they have councils and things that discuss those sort of things. Yeah. Um, and if you don't agree with that, then you split off from that, which is why we have the Firths this and the second this and some of those. Um, I think there are some churches where they have split off from all and have no connection beyond just their own church community, um, kind of like a startup or something like that. And so there wouldn't be any other authority besides the pastor in that situation. And in that case, they may either go with what the pastor believes or uh, leave it up to the individual person in that way. but, uh, you know, it goes back to part of that, too, is, I mean, you go all the way back to the beginning when Martin Luther split the first one. If you went with Martin Luther, then you believe that he was teaching truth and actually got it all where the Catholic Church was missing something. Um, but it doesn't take very long before someone comes along and splits from him. So now did Martin Luther not have all the truth? Because if he didn't have all the truth and you left with him, were you following something that wasn't truth? Mm-hmm. And now you went to the next guy because he was more truth than Martin Luther was. And then the split from that and the split from that, like, you know, it's almost like that little game where you've got to find the ball under the cup, like who's got the truth. Right. It's interesting if you look at, there's actually statistical numbers on the denominations that took place after the Reformation. So like after, because <clears throat> 1540-ish is when this was this, when they were established. And so... <clears throat> If you look within the first like 100 years, it's thought that there were about, uh, I want to say about, 
it's either 50 or 100 different branches and then you go for like by by the turn of the millennia or the 1900s the end of the 1900s it was something like a thousand by that time a thousand different branches that have already that had already broken off from this one original break in the 16th century and then yeah then it and then into the 20th century it just exponentially exploded the number of of veins that broke off the first church of this and the second of that and the you know so it's it's amazing how once that fracture occurred how it just splintered and splintered to this day where we see you know 35,000 different denominations of christianity and more popping up each day because i don't like what pastor joe said the other day and so uh, I'm going to go start my own thing. Yeah, I was just listening to a guy tell me he was going church shopping like in Hayes. And this was, I mean, it wasn't the Catholic church. He was just going to go and see which one made him feel more comfortable or, or something like that. And, and, you know, I think that's a terrible way to select a, a, a faith is to go see which room makes you feel comfortable, which, you know, pastor speaks to you. Uh, I mean, the idea is I need truth and I want to find truth and I don't know. It intrigues me that people do that, but well, I I'm not surprised by that because we live in a world today which is totally entertain me. Um, I've got 500 channels, whatever, on my television, and if I don't like what's on, I'm gonna flip the channel. I'm gonna go to Netflix and skim through. I'm gonna start an episode of something. If I don't like it, I'm gonna start a different series and go. And, and that's so. I'm not surprised that people allow that to creep into their Christianity. Um, that they're looking for something that's gonna engage them and keep their attention and sort of stir that emotional high within them because that's what that's how we oftentimes live our daily lives. Yeah. And so, and I, I can understand that even sports teams. I mean, whichever team's kind of winning, people yeah. jump to. I can kind of understand that, but not in like my faith and my truth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one thing if it's your entertainment or if it's something like that, but but you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I don't understand it exactly, but I do I do see kind of some of this, the, the uh, symptoms of it within other other contexts of our yeah. culture. And you could even say that that's the case in uh, in relationships as well. Like I, I, th- I see a ton of correlation between the state of Christianity in the United States, especially in the world today, and the state of marriage in the world today. And that people are looking for an emotional high within their Christian experience and people are looking for an emotional high within their dating and marriage relationships. And when they don't experience the emotional high in their Christian relationship, they go shopping for another church to fulfill that high. And when they don't feel that emotional high in their marriage relationship, they go shopping for yeah. someone else to be able to fulfill that. So yeah. so back onto the uh, authority part. No, of it. we're staying with what I was talking about. Are we? Okay, go ahead. Oh, go okay, ahead. great. Thanks. Since you are my pastor, we don't want him and, to throw a hissy. And thing. my boss. Since and when have you ever <laughs> allowed that to be something that designates what you say or do? I, I guess since now. So I was looking up some more things on just different churches the other day. Uh, we were doing some of it in class, and one thing that I did notice was there were one of the I, I, I say the umbrella corporation so the the main church this is what i had my kids do in class don't look up just one of let's say methodist or lutheran church within hayes but look up what does the main church teach and one of them that we were looking up it said 
this is our belief on abortion, blah, 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 blah. We believe it's wrong for these. But we don't expect each of our members to have to follow that. And I've just found it very, very interesting that you would make a statement like that, that we as the council, as the leaders of this church, believe that this is wrong, but their next statement said, we leave it up to each individual to decide what is right in their own life. And so you can still be a part of our church. You can still call yourself a a faithful member. Um, Even though we teach this, you can go against it, and we're fine with that. That's so puzzling. I just It's frustrating. That's puzzling to me. And and because uh, I yeah, I would almost guarantee that there's people that could be listening to this that 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 seems to make logical sense. But the reality to it's me either is true or it's either, yeah, exactly. True. Either Jesus Christ has this intention for that particular teaching to be conveyed as as this is the way you're supposed to do it or this is the way you're supposed to do it and it's one or it's one or the other. If you're a Christian church, you're a Christian believer, then it, Jesus either expects one or the other. He can't just say, "Well, Jesus expects that every individual is going to kind of figure that out for themselves." Is that is and that what both we're can think they're right. right? I mean, you could have two totally different decisions made, and both of them they think is right. Uh, it just it defies logic is what it does. And that discussion lends itself towards a lot of the reason why how I came to the church is I always tell people, do you believe that Jesus is God? And when they answer yes, do you believe then that God is a whole lot more intelligent than us? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus would know if left to our own devices and all only left to read a book and decide for ourselves could mess it up? Everybody always says, yeah. I mean, just like a corporation, if you've got a boss that goes away and says, okay, I'm going to leave the vice president in charge, everybody knows, okay, what the vice president says goes. But if you've got a, uh, if you've got a CEO that leaves and says, everybody just do what they want, read the manual, but then you guys interpret it however you want. We all know that that corporation is just going to fall apart real quick. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the first things that also started lead, I mean, many of them, but started leading me there is just the understanding of, okay, I really think Jesus is a whole lot more intelligent than me. <clears throat> I think he knows that we as humans could mess it up, and therefore I believe he would leave somebody in charge to guide us. Yeah. It, you know, the Catholic Church gets beat up on not being science, which we believe in science, and not being – but if you look at math – if you don't have a centering point and another point to try to draw a line, you have no idea if you're going the right direction or not. You need a couple. So for us, we have scripture and tradition um, that, that helps us to guide us in our, our correct direction. If all you have is scripture, that's your only point of reference. How could you ever know if you're actually going the right direction? It defies logic. Same way with the fact that two opposites cannot be truth. Um, that defies logic as well. So I guess that leads us into that part of the conversation, which is, I mean, the very the the most fundamental difference between Christ, between Catholics and most Protestant denominations is that particular question of authority, and specifically what came about as a result of the the Protestant Reformation, which is sola scriptura, which basically means the Bible alone. This idea. That all of our truth, all of our understanding of morality, all of our understanding of theology comes from the scriptures alone. That's all that we need is the word of God. And that seems to make logical sense until you come to such such questions as, okay, where do you get that idea, first of all? Um, 
where do you get the idea that the Bible is the only authority? The fact is the Bible itself never anywhere claims itself to be the only authority. In fact, you can find places in the Bible that speak to a reality of an authority outside of the written word, uh, especially spe- specifically Second Theolo- Thessalonians that speaks to uh, another authority of following not only <clears throat> the letters of the apostles, but also the words of the apostles, which we traditionally understand to be both scripture and tradition, that there is this met, this reference to tradition as well. So, so first of all, the principle that scripture alone, specifically, you cannot find it anywhere in the scriptures. Yes, you can find passages that talk about the scripture is is authority. The scripture is is true. It is useful. It is good for teaching and preaching. Um, but nowhere does it say that it's the only only authority. And so that's the first principle that I think is is an important thing, is you can't even find that principle in the scriptures themselves. Let yeah. me jump in real quick, and then I'll maybe Then I'll jump in, in, and then maybe and then I'll jump in. in. All right. Uh, on that same point, one of the first things that I think all people should really look at is your table of contents in your Bible. When we go to what we would call the canon, there is nowhere in the Bible, which is the same thing, if the Bible is your sole rule of faith, then within the Bible, it needs to tell you which books are supposed to be in the Bible. There's nowhere that's going to tell you that. So at the very first pages of the Bible, when you go to the table of contents and say, which, which books do I believe are inspired Word of God? There's nowhere in the Bible that's going to tell you this book's supposed to be in this collection of books that we call the Bible. That should be our first clue that maybe there's something illogical with that way of thinking. If I can't find that in there, then whose authority am I falling back to on this canon? So and that's the number one. <laughs> you said you were going to. Okay, I'm jumping in. That's the number one. That's the number one question that we as Catholics, because okay, here here's the truth of the matter. <laughs> Don't you love it? When somebody, <laughs> that's funny. Somebody pre- preludes their uh, phrase by "Here's the truth of the matter." <laughs> that's not cocky or anything. Uh, <laughs> Here's the truth, by the way, uh, what I'm going to say here. Uh, As opposed to everything else you've been saying. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally derailed myself. But uh, the truth is Catholics are not very good at responding to these questions, at getting into conversations uh, with our Protestant brothers and sisters on the topic of authority, on the topic of the Bible. Uh, So we as Catholics need to be prepared to have specific questions that we would pose to our, because we get questions all the time. I mean, typically our our Protestant brothers and sisters are firing question after question after question at us. And we also need to be prepared to say, okay, you asked a question, now here's my question. And our number one question that we should have is, where, where do you understand the Bible as a collected work of written literature? Where does it come from? And that should lead down a path of conversation that because I think some just don't really even don't even think about that question. Like some Protestant denominations don't really get in. It comes from God. What else do you need to know? Uh, okay, was this, it was Jesus, you know, right before he ascended into heaven, was he standing around with his apostles signing copies <laughs> and passing them to him? Like, here's, here's your copy, here's your copy. Yeah. Obviously not. So where does it come from? And when you get into investigating that simple question, which is not a simple question, but when you get into investigating that question, it almost 
automatically leads you to some level of speaking about tradition. So, so here's a really cool thing on what you were saying, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what no, I would really, say, I got I got to interject here though, because in class I have totally. international students, and I ask them as we're going through scripture for sophomore year, I go, okay, guys, we've been talking a lot about how this is the word of God. What do you think that means? And you're exactly right. If you get somebody that's completely separated from Christianity and they're just hearing that you guys call this book the word of God, they think we mean, we mean that God like just dropped it out of heaven, ready made, or something something like that. Yeah. And if we can, like you said, get people to go back to how did this come to be, then we can start where maybe they'll end up going, okay, historically, hmm, who yeah. put this together? Okay, Bill. My, my question is is just in my last five or six years, uh, you know, I've read the Bible in its entirety. I've studied it in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I can personally in my whole life look back six or seven years ago and say, I used to interpret it this way. I used to read this as this. I used to think this was truth. And now I entirely understand a different truth from that. It actually scares me to think about if that's all I had was my knowledge then, and I was interpreting it for myself at that time, how wrong I know I was just at that time. And probably six or seven years from now, I will see some things that I was wrong on now. That's how I interpreted it. So if you're going to base your entire faith and belief system on how you interpret that without any help from someone else, you know, it's scary how wrong we can go with those sort of things. And I think one of the fair questions, and you guys have hammered on this, is if, you know, you know where we got the Bible from, those sort of things, if Jesus only meant us to look through scriptures and that was enough truth, then he would have handed us a Bible instead of the 12 apostles and built his church in that way. He would have had it ready when he ascended and handed it out as copies, if that's all we needed. But there there was obviously a different process that he wanted his church to be uh, um, created, or I, I don't know what the word is, but the authority to come from. Yeah, I think... Because he could have done that. He could have handed a book out and he could have said, this has everything you need. Right. Follow this book. He's... God, he could have done that, but he chose not to do it that way. And I think we got to ask ourselves, why did he not choose to do it that way? And I think that also, because I, 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 I think that there are some denominations that if, if they don't think that explicitly, they think sort of some uh, sort of version of that, that Jesus did more or less give us the Bible. Um, but the, the reality is that the Bible was not compiled for hundreds of years until after Jesus Christ. Not only were the Gospels not written for decades after Jesus ascended into heaven was no longer on the scene by both eyewitnesses, but then also by individuals that never met yeah. Jesus personally. Uh, and so that doesn't affect our faith. That doesn't affect the way that we perceive it. But it does affect the question of where does it where does it come from and how was it compiled and does that matter? And certainly it matters. Uh, I, I love the example because you're kind of alluding to this, uh, Bill, is that Jesus didn't just give us the book and then say, well, here you go, guys. Uh, good luck. Hope you can understand what, what you got there. Uh, figure it out for yourselves. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense that we would receive the scriptures, no matter how we receive them, that we would receive them and then just be just be given this sense that eh, you guys will probably figure it out. You yeah. know, you guys should be able to get this. Us reality, it's kind of like that. it's kind of like the founding fathers of our country yeah. writing down the words of law in the Constitution and then printing it out and giving it to every citizen and saying, "Okay, here you guys go. See what you can 
figure out with that. Hopefully everybody can kind of get the gist and follow along. Uh, it would make no sense and we would have tyranny and complete chaos as a country, <laughs> which people argue that we do, but <laughs> but we do have some some semblance of structure. Yeah, and, I understand. Um, but the reality is the founding fathers gave us a body, specifically the Supreme Court, to be the, the determiner, determiner, <laughs> the interpreter of that document. And so too, with any truth, you know, document that revolves around truth and principle and foundation that we should have a body that continues to live and interpret and understand what was first written. And we believe obviously that to be the church or you could call it sacred tradition. Well, you can look in the early church too, and you can see in the Acts of the Apostles and some of the letters that there were splits and divisions already starting and people teaching one way instead of another, like and there heresies. was an authority that was sought to decide what was truth and what was being taught. And after that authority decided that, that's what it was from that point on. And so, um, you know, you can definitely allude to the fact that everybody submitted to an authority, and when the authority made the decision, as it was understood as truth. Well, even in Acts of the Apostles specifically, there are multiple times where Peter is the last one to speak a word. And as soon as he says his particular word, the conversation is closed. That happens more than once in the Acts of the Apostles, that Peter is somehow seen as this unique authority, even amongst the apostles, that once Peter has spoken and laid down the word, then nobody else challenges it. Nobody, And that gets back to, okay, who is this Peter and how, how, why is this the case? But... Yeah. That's another part of the conversation. Yeah, I'd like to, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to engage in a conversation with someone that, specifically someone who's gone to a church that is not even a mainline church that's connected with a greater church, but it was just someone who a pastor looked and said, uh, here's the collection like of this, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with this. I guess the only result is I'm going to start my own. Um, and I'd like to have a discussion with someone who, who belongs to one of those churches because I'd like to understand, you know, why would you follow this man in his specific teachings? What did you see in him that said, everybody else is not teaching truth. He is the only one that has truth. Um, I'd like to understand their thought process on that. I don't know. Yeah, it'd yeah. be interesting to know. I think most likely there is within that vein, this is a common vein in, in non-denominational evangelical uh, Protestantism is uh, this vein of the reality of we're going back to our foundations, we're going back to our roots, we're going back to the way that the church was lived in the Acts of the Apostles. So our church is an Acts of the Apostles church. Uh, okay. So you get how many chapters to actually define what the right. church was, and there were you know so many things not actually even so, in there. So right. So they would say, well, we we read from the 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 scrolls as the in the Acts of the Apostles. That was sort of one of their versions of worship was to read the letters, which they would interpret as being the Bible. Yeah. Um, the understanding of reading the scriptures, the understanding as gathering into homes to break bread, which they would understand is kind of sharing the scriptures with each other. Uh, and so more or less, it's sort of this, why? Why you got to do it? Why you got to mess with it? It wasn't even buzzing Bill. that bad. Yeah, it wasn't buzzing, and then Bill has got to Okay, keep it. going. Oh, my god. So they're interpreting the breaking of the bread as common sharing in remembrance of. Right, so I think, oh, my goodness. So <laughs> um, 
<laughs> no one even hears the buzz except for us. So no, they're wondering yeah, so why you guys know there's this little box over here that makes the headphones buzz if the wires turn wrong and Bill messed with it when no, it wasn't even messing it up. It's true. He's like a little kid like, "Ooh, look oh, at look at this. I got to touch the, the I got to touch the box." <laughs> would you finish oh, no. would you finish your thought? I thought it was a good thought, it's which gone. never really it happened. Was, but now you threw you him off. Okay. So they read the Acts of the Apostles and they see these things. Now the problem is you got to ignore an awful lot of stuff where, you know, obviously the Eucharist is alluded to in a very specific way of this is the body, we share this. Uh, well, yeah, and presbyters and bishops and, you know, all of these names and such that we find in the New Testament that you have to ignore in order to say, well, we're an apostolic, <laughs> we're an Acts of the Apostles Church. We're gathering into homes, sharing our resources with one another sharing the word with one another. That's sort of, the, that's the church that Jesus intended. Yeah. Okay, well then what the heck was St. Paul talking about in talking about this hierarchical structure, even within his letters, talking about bishops and presbyters. And even, I mean, even in the Acts of the Apostles, we see this development of, of establishing communities with authorities in them that would continue to transmit the word. Plus you're ignoring the entire Old Testament with the 12 tribes and the more named in the structure and those sort of things, right. which we somewhat, you know, look at for structure and stuff. Plus you got to ignore the entire book of James. If you're going to say it's faith alone, which was one of the teachings, you pretty much cannot read James at all in most things. If, if you're going to try to be an Acts of the Apostles church. The other thing though, is it doesn't actually just stay in people's homes. They go build churches and they right. build big churches and the big churches have, you know, things that obviously get way outside of the Acts of the Apostles as well. So, well, And as you mentioned, going back to our roots, I've heard a lot of that recently too. And what I've, I've had people laugh at me when I've told them, you do realize that the Bible is a Catholic book. <laughs> they look at you like, you are insane, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the really funny thing is, it really, it, just do some history. Yeah. I would ask anybody who's listening to this, you know, we're not sitting here trying to be rude and just poke the bear. We're asking people to look for the truth. And if you do your historical research, you will find that the Catholic Church is the only church that actually went through councils, not just one person, not a couple guys, went through councils. And years and years. Years and years of discussing, of praying, of asking the Holy Spirit to guide this church in making the right de declarative statement that this is the canon. Now it's closed. It cannot be added to or taken away. And for... 1400 years the canon was like that one of the things that we see many people out there really do believe that catholics added the extra books to the bible mm -hmm. what you find is no actually historically that does not hold up and nobody that actually does any historical research argues that it's just people who don't know the history well, exactly right. but when you do the historical research and you find out oh shoot the Catholic Church actually did have this Bible clear up until Luther. And the, the really cool thing is when the uh, printing press was invented, uh, the first book printed on the printing press was a Catholic Bible. Yeah. And so before Luther comes in and makes these changes, and him and the other reformers, and takes books out of the Bible, you can actually see that there was a Bible printed before that with all the books in it that the Catholic Church says, this is the canon. Well, and, and th the thing about that, too, is... is uh, I've heard people say, well, they, you know, thanks be to God, got that correct. And it's like, well, you know, if, if they were able to get the New Testament correct and what the books that were inspired were and got that right, I mean, I, I think, why wouldn't you believe the rest of what they teach? If they got that right and if you use that, why wouldn't you believe the rest of what they teach? 
Wait, what? Well, they they will they will sometimes or, yeah well they'll they, sometimes say yes thanks the church did get that right they got the canon right those are the inspired books they they did a good job with that and it's like well if they got that right uh, they obviously okay. were led by the spirit um, in so order somebody to somebody who believes that there's seventy three books is what we're talking well about. not seventy three the New Testament they 66. believe sixty six. What, 27? What yeah, 20, 27. Okay. Because they didn't take any out of the New Testament. The Reformers didn't take any out of the no. New Testament. So they left right. those 27. Uh-huh. And they'll say, yes, the church got that right. Oh, okay. And it's like, well, if they got that right, the only way you could get that right is if you were led by the Holy Spirit to make sure the inspired books were in there. Well, I mean, to be the devil's advocate or to answer with how yeah. a Protestant would answer that's sort of studied this is that they would say – this is the canon that Judaism actually accepted from 100 AD is the Palestinian canon, which is the 66 books or the, the, uh, so the, we have 46 in the old Testament. Uh, they have 39. And so the Palestinian canon, which was created around 100 AD, uh, is actually this, the 66. Well, obviously not 66. We're talking about just the old Testament. Yeah. Because the Jews wouldn't have followed the 27 <laughs> yeah. books of the So New we Testament. have to, we just stay with the 27. So we're talking 39. So the Palestinian canon had 39 books in the Old Testament, whereas prior to that, right. Judaism Let's just stay with the followed New Testament. The 46 books. No one ever argues the 27 books in the New Testament. What do you, so. So I'm saying that if we got those books right, then then we must have been led by the Spirit to get the 27 New Testament books that were inspired correct. What I'm saying is, if yeah, so they would grant that. Right. So I'm saying if you grant that, then you're saying we were led by the Holy Spirit in order to put the right inspired New Testament books in there. Okay, I see. Oh, okay. I I think so. Bill is saying that um, you would have to grant that the church got the New Testament right, but then you're saying that it got the Old Testament wrong, and so you're saying that the Holy Spirit can lead us in the New Testament, but it can't lead us in the Old Testament. You're obviously giving authority to the church saying it was led by the spirit when it put the 27 together of the new testament you have to say yes they did that right okay and and if you're going to say that then you have to say well obviously the holy spirit was leading them at that time okay yeah and if you do that then we would say well if they were being led by the holy spirit why would you throw out the rest of what they were teaching and that is part of the question is because i think that's where you got to go with with our brothers and sisters with our protestant brothers and sisters is why was the letters of Peter accepted and the gospel of Peter was not accepted? Because we do understand that there was a f- floating yeah. around at yeah. the time of the compilation of the canon were these letters and, and gospels and, you know, gospel of Thomas and, and shepherd of Hermas and all of these other texts and letters and everything that were floating around. There would have been thousands and thousands of them. Why were those not included in 27 books and letters were included in the New Testament. You know, who said that those would be the 27? Who said that those individual books and letters would not be a part of the 27? And when did that take place? Those are all questions that we need to be ready to yeah. ask as Catholics because the answers to those questions is you're going to find is it took a process of hundreds of years, centuries, in order to compile which ones would be included and yeah. which would be excluded. And in particular, a council to say, this is it. This will be it. There will be nothing added, nothing uh, subtracted. Yeah, I'd like to echo Cody's words. We're not trying to beat up 
on our Pross and Brothers like sisters. Just no, like I'm, I'm just saying I want to make sure it's not coming across that way. I honestly would like to hear answers to these questions. Um, I'd like to understand their thought process. And that's my thought, too, because there's a lot of Catholics and there's a lot of Catholics who have left the church and who are part of uh, these other denominations uh, of, of Christianity is we are not doing a good job as Catholic leaders, as a Catholic priest, of teaching uh, Catholics how to even engage in these conversations and to understand some of these questions of where does the Bible come from, where does Scripture come from, where does the authority come from. Um, and so that's more what I'm getting at rather than <clears throat> right. rather than attacking is right. in some ways teaching Catholics <clears throat> to be able to have to engage the conversation. Well, so. and Father, you know, something that I don't think we've cleared up yet is so many people, I've even heard a student reiterate this thought in class. So many people will say, well, that whole authority thing, that's basically just like the telephone game. You guys know what the telephone yeah, game is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you whisper into someone's ear, and by the time it gets to the next person, it's changed. By the time it gets to the end. And, th- and that's what they think that authority within our church is, is that, uh, well, you guys kind of passed down these oral teachings, but they could have got messed up over the years and things like that. So maybe we should clear up exactly what we mean by sacred tradition. What we mean by oral teaching. I'll let him clear that up in a second, but I want to say an answer to that, though, is if you think we've messed it up using the telephone game, then what do you think the churches who start up on their own with no connection back and with nobody passing anything down and with no anything, you're just going to pop out and start? Like, at least if you're going to go and and go the telephone game, at least we have some connection and you're saying we pass it down for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. I'd like to look at the ones who have n- don't even have a phone. Can I throw a thought in? I or think are you ready to go. Uh, well, I'm actually still in this conversation. Is I think it's funny how people <laughs> doubt the truthfulness of Christian theology, of Christian, le- you know, the letters and writings, the the, the Bible. Um, yet, without a doubt, will accept. Roman history and Egyptian history and all of these texts. It's just amazing to me that fair point. They'll, they'll believe things that are centuries and centuries, thousands of years, perhaps even before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's sort of just grant, just grant that as acceptable truth in terms of historical truth. Uh, yet, yet this that which we still have written documentation and, and there's letters and, and uh even even secular references to to Jesus Christ to a man named Jesus Christ, uh, so we can find secular texts that talk about this ex- the existence of Jesus Christ. Uh, yet yes, yet there's s- total doubt around the, the you know it's the telephone game. It's like the, the truth just kind of watered down, and we don't have anything truth today. <laughs> yet Tutankhamun was a uh, you know yeah. was a pharaoh that you know that we somehow. Just, just grant as basic truth. So, huh. so a lot of it goes back to uh, many people. He just totally ignored <laughs> everything you <laughs> <he> said. <laughs> no, I think he just uh, anyway. Keep going. On. A lot of it goes back to what people will. Um, first thing they will claim is, well, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. And then that goes a lot back to much of what Bill has said is, well, yes, anybody can say that. And anybody can claim I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, but once again then, you know, 35 different 
35,000 different denominations are saying we're being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is God, which all of us Christians will agree on, the Holy Spirit cannot be wrong. The Holy Spirit cannot teach in error. And so there cannot be 35,000 different versions of the truth. And what you'll hear is, well, uh, we basically agree on the basics. Uh-huh. That's right? what I was just thinking. And, and But even when you go to, well, what are the basics? Well, people will say, well, we believe in Jesus and we believe that he is our Savior. Well, that might be a good start. But, but after you get past that, even in there. yeah, there is a lot of gaps even within that. But when you when you just say that and leave it that vague, well... Yeah. It pretty quickly goes off the rails when you start talking about heavy moral questions. Well, not even heavy moral <laughs> questions, basic basic theological questions like who what is salvation? How uh, are true. you saved? What is baptism? Is it necessary? Are there sacraments? Is there a hierarchy? What's a bishop? Who, you know, you get into some of the basic well, I mean, obviously, some of those later ones were not necessarily fundamental, but they, what is salvation? How are you saved? Is it for all time? Is it temporary? Can you lose your salvation? All of those things are very integral into the question of and, Christianity, yeah. and yet there are thousands of different ways to interpret that according to one collection of books. And so I just think it's, I think it's interesting that, that Christianity so often, like you said, will say, we've got the basic gist together. We're, we're, yeah. one, we're one church on the basic truth. No, not at all. Here's, here's so my much... answer to that is who cares if you got almost 99% of it the same. If you have 1% that you guys disagree on, someone's right, someone's wrong, yep. or you're both wrong. And the Holy Spirit cannot be teaching something that's not truth. So I don't care if you got all of it except for one tiny little thing. That one tiny little thing would prove that someone's right and someone's wrong if you're teaching contrary things. And that can't happen if the Holy Spirit is the one teaching. So somebody out there, if 36,000, 35,000 dominations, there might be one that's got truth, but all the rest of them are following things that aren't truth. So I think we're going to have to. Uh, I think we're going to have to wrap have it to, up. Which, to be continued on this. I, I don't know if you guys. Yeah, I think we got to be t- to continue. And hopefully, someone's listening out there that has some answers back for well, us. That's what I was hoping is we could have some kind of feedback on this particular topic, and what are the questions that come up in in your mind? What are the ways that it seems like we're not we're not seeing things yeah correctly or seeing things thoroughly enough? And and also yeah answers to the questions that are being posed in some way. So. Uh, but then also, yeah, we, we go into, okay, because the, the ultimate question is, what does the Bible say about what we've just been talking about? And I think we can look to certain passages in the scriptures that give us this sense of authority uh, in a more concrete way. So that's not a bad direction to go. Yeah. So I think that gives us a good stop spot if you want to pray. And- All right. Uh, so give us your feedback. Put your uh, comments on there. Check us out on... Where are we at now? SoundCloud. And, SoundCloud uh, and YouTube. We're going to try to get iTunes again. We're going to renew our effort. Yeah, come we'll on, see. baby. Uh, come Holy Spirit. And then us, also please share this with somebody. Uh, you know, Make a bold step and, and just share it on your Facebook or share it on your Twitter or send it to somebody or something. Um, you know, Help us to get that conversation out there. Um, allow people to think about it and give us feedback about what they think on those. All righty. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In this this month of October, this month where we turn to the intercession of our Blessed Mother, pointing us to her Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. 
Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.